This script is about the use of pills. More specifically, the dangerous abuse of pills. All sorts of pills, all colors, all shapes, all of them smaller than, than a bullet, but just as deadly in the wrong hands. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Ian, this podcast is about drugs. All right. But before you get too excited, we're not talking about the recreational type. Aww. Over the last decade, this concept of nootropics and smart drugs has really taken off, especially in the entrepreneurial community. Of course, I'm sure you knew about this as a student. Oh, yeah. And this is nothing new. I mean, a lot of terrible books have been written on, quote, nootropics. But, I mean, there's a lot of interesting movement in this world. I've taken some nootropics in the past. I have some experiences which I'll share in this show. Have you taken any nootropics? I have, yes. I have taken them. I have spun out of control. I have stayed in control every once in a while. But In this show, though, Ian, we're not going to talk about mine, yours. We can't go back to jail. We can't go back to jail. So instead, we've invited Jesse Lawler. Those of you who are long-term listeners to the show will know that Jesse used to be our business partner, runs the podcast Smart Drug Smarts, which is fabulous. I mean, he interviews all different types of people from scientists to personal experience. I mean, it's a really fascinating show if you're interested about anything cognitive performance and cognitive health. He gave a great presentation on this topic at our event in Bangkok. We were to bring a lot of that to this show here today. And part of the reason is that our producer, Jane, attended the conference. And so a lot of this will weigh in a few times, but most of what you're going to hear today is our producer, Jane, interviewing Jesse. You know, Dan, what I think is interesting about this topic, I think that Jesse is really on the forefront. People that are studying these things are on the forefront of what it's going to be like in the future to take a performance-enhancing drug that helps you become smarter. I think we're just getting started here. Seeing This is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's going to be possible in the future. Yeah, no question. You see that you know the military hands these things out to people that need to perform, like fighter pilots and things. And a lot of the things that have been developed for one purpose, like Alzheimer's patients end up having a lot of benefits for the rest of us. You need to stay up all night perched on a hill with your sniper rifle. Now you can take this drug to finish your website on time. In this episode, you can expect to hear when is and isn't the best time to take advantage of nootropics if you're planning to. So Jesse has a lot of experience, not only from his audience, but from self-testing. And he'll share some of that. Why Jesse has people in their 80s listening to his show. So it's not all young people that are interested in this stuff. And how he thinks cognitive enhancement aids might develop in the future. But to start, Jane asked Jesse Lawler about what smart drugs actually means. Well, smart drugs is sort of, it's an umbrella term that doesn't necessarily correspond to an exact type of chemical. Like the chemicals that are included under the smart drugs umbrella aren't necessarily of a chemical family with one another. There are lots of different mechanisms of action that these drugs do as far as what they're actually doing in the brain, promoting the release or the restricted uptake of certain neurotransmitters. Like for example, two of the well-known drugs that people think about sort of under the smart drugs umbrella are Ritalin and Adderall. 
both of which are stimulants and have huge effects on the amount of dopamine that's allowed to circulate within the brain. So those ones are well known for giving people sort of a hyper focus. It makes whatever you're doing very, very interesting to you. If you're using them as, as like sort of the classic use, I guess, would be the off-label use as a study drug. You need to you know do your term paper in two nights because you've been putting it off all term and you know somebody takes an Adderall and is able to sit down and read those six textbook chapters that they've been putting off forever and it seems like it's the most exciting thing in the world. That would be one example. I think a lot of people will have heard of them as drugs to treat young people who have attention deficit disorder. Is that right? Yeah, and that sort of brings up an interesting point of almost everything that's considered a smart drug was first you know, discovered and put to use and is oftentimes gotten uh, approval by the Food and Drug Administration for something else. So those two that we just mentioned are prescribed as drugs to treat ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Similarly, another fairly well-known thing that's considered under the smart drugs umbrella is modafinil and a sibling chemical called armodafinil and a third called adrafinil, all of which are used technically for narcolepsy that when people you know fall asleep without warning. But it's one of these things where the prescribed use is, is not really how it's getting used in the real world. There are a lot of other drugs in the racetam family, which is a fairly famous chemical compound family within the world of smart drugs. And, and these are generally used to enhance memory and be a, a neuroprotective later in life as people are perhaps beginning to you know, show signs of Alzheimer's or senior dementia. But as they've done tests, seeing whether these drugs have effects on the brains of younger people, they don't have quite as profound of effects if a brain is still functioning well, but they can still have some significant effects even for people as young as college age. Sorry, I interrupted you there. So let's continue with the other types of drugs. There's just a variety. There are you know, focus enhancing, as I said, oftentimes are working on the dopamine system. There are purely wakefulness enhancing drugs. This might be something like caffeine is obviously something that falls under the smart drugs umbrella that's been available widely forever and that everybody's probably pretty familiar with is sort of an easy entry into even thinking about these things. There are some drugs that affect mood and I'm not talking like antidepressive drugs or or the serotonin reuptake inhibitor things. But, you know, one of the things I mentioned in in the speech was a, a plant called lemon balm, which has been around forever. And I think you can buy in Whole Foods Market and things like that, but has been shown to have some light cognitive enhancing effects, but most people agree that it definitely does have some mood enhancing effects for people. Creativity. I mentioned the racetams a bit earlier. I like to take one called aniracetam for creativity enhancement. I think the reason that I find that particular effect is because the racetams are known for increasing a person's working memory. And it's my belief that when you have sort of more ideas available to you simultaneously, because there's more ideas you can hold in your head for working memory, being able to juxtapose those ideas against one another winds up you know, having greater creative output. Okay, so you've obviously had quite a lot of experience of taking them. Can you just give me some description about how long you've been taking them and the range that you've been taking? Yeah, I probably sort of first came across the idea of smart drugs even existing, there being a way to upmodulate a person's cognition, maybe about nine years ago now. I, I, I wish I could remember the exact date, but I, I remember I saw a little sidebar article in Maxim magazine, and it was talking about a drug called Provigil, which is the trade name for modafinil, and it made it sound interesting. It said it was being used by computer programmers, and I was a former computer programmer at the time, and little did I know I had more computer programming in my future. I made an order from a Canadian pharmacy, had it shipped to me online, did it without a prescription, so I was, I guess that was the first like gray market internet order that I ever did, and uh, that kind of started me down the path. What was quite clear from your answer was that different drugs have different effects, which must affect 
the times you need to take them. What's the best time to take them? Oh, yeah, it really depends. It depends on the effect you're going for. If you're using something which is more of a stimulant and tends to be a wakefulness promoting drug, you probably want to take it you know, either early in the day, so it's not going to mess up your sleep later that night, or if you're using it as a sleep avoidance tactic, then take it whatever time you want, but just be aware that there could be some ramifications to falling asleep quickly. On the other hand, there are drugs that people take as sort of stimulant parachutes, things like melatonin, although that wouldn't be considered a smart drug. You know, people that use these kind of, you know, interventions pretty aggressively, it's like they kind of have ways to get into and out of different cognitive states. And I can't really say, you know, you should take your smart drugs at 9am because there's just no hard and fast rule with things like that. A lot of them, it, it makes sense to be aware of maybe what other foods, whether you should take it on an empty stomach, whether you should take it with foods. For example, aniracetam is is a fat-soluble compound, so it's good to have a little bit of dietary fat when you take an aniracetam pill because it just helps it get into your bloodstream more effectively. There's a lot of that stuff to be aware of, but I can't really give a blanket answer for what time of day. No, sure. I mean, have you personally had some quite bad experiences where you haven't been able to sleep or you, th- you think, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that, you know, what a mistake. And have you had some bad times with it? You know, I, I haven't had anything that would be you know, catastrophically bad, but there have been a few times when I've taken modafinil on three days in a row. And then on the first day that I don't take it, I just feel really, really tired, probably because I've been, you know, reducing my sleep needs on the three previous nights. And I've, you know, then you got to pay the piper. There's things to be aware of there. And if you're taking drugs that really have strong effects on dopamine, then oftentimes the body will start to produce less dopamine itself naturally, which can make you feel really, really rotten when you stop taking a dopamine enhancing drug and then go off of it. So those aren't things I mess with too much. I don't want to do anything to undercut my body's own natural dopamine production. But if somebody's like uh, taking Adderall on prescription, that's something they very much need to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point you raise, actually, is the more you know about the effects and how they work, the more you can be prepared. Yeah, it's like anything else. I mean, you're riding a bicycle, you know, obviously, it's great to know how to ride a bike, but you're probably going to skin your knees a few times as you're doing the learning process. You're not going to get it right the first time you try. And you know, most of these are not miracle pills that you take it, you're in a you know, newer enhanced cognitive state and instantly everything works perfectly and you know how to behave in that state. It, it might be something where you kind of feel the difference the first couple of times. You feel sort of the changes in your natural proclivities and you get a sense of, oh, you know, when I'm in this mental state or, or on this particular chemical, here's the type of things that I gravitate towards. Here's what I do well. Here's what I don't do well. You know, one thing I've talked about a lot with people on focus enhancing drugs is they tend to make whatever is in front of you more interesting, even if it doesn't necessarily merit your attention. And that's something that's worth bearing in mind before you actually take the drug. You know, if you have a bunch of stuff you want to get done, decide what those things are. It's like create your checklist sort of at the strategic level of what needs to get done before taking this drug that's going to make everything in front of you more interesting than it otherwise would be. Use the drugs as like a tactical tool of, okay, I've already got my checklist, now I'm going to power through it, rather than creating your checklist when you're already in an altered state. Yeah, I got to jump in here because I have some experience with drugs with these sorts of properties. I'm getting amped up just thinking about amphetamines right now. (laughs) I've always thought about it like if you're going to take this stuff, you got to make sure your wheels are set in the right direction before you hit the gas. Right. So what the picture I'm getting here is I'm in a very fast car 
and the wheel is cocked 45 degrees to the left and I hit the gas pedal somewhat unexpectedly because that's how this, it can come on unexpectedly. And all of a sudden you're doing donuts. I know we're in this brave new world of internet and technology and things, but there's a lot of wisdom in our bodies. And oftentimes when you engineer motivation, you miss out on the cues that your body's trying to say to you like, hey, this job sucks. Like this project sucks. Like oftentimes it's a smarter strategy rather than hitting that gas pedal and just going whatever direction the wheels are set is thinking about, you know, what's really going to get me motivated here to do something. So that's the challenge. And, you know, I've had days where I've very aggressively, intently watched YouTube like an all-star. I mean, I was like managing my subscriptions and setting things up, but I've also seen people do this for weeks, months, and even years. It's a serious thing. In my experience, you have to be careful and you have to be self-directed. So I remember experimenting with things like this when I had to finish a 3D model. And that was a great time because I had a clear vision and I had a clear path for what I needed to accomplish. I wasn't sitting down in front of my computer, how should I spend my day, pop a pill, all of a sudden I'm vacuuming for four hours. <laughs> I'm sitting down, I'm thinking, I have to finish this model. I'm not very motivated to do it. I know exactly what needs to happen, but the truth is it's going to take me four hours. Let's see if we can do it in two and be really excited about it. One of the really interesting questions I thought that came up during your talk or after your talk was a woman who brought up the question of how much do we know about the different effects on women and men, the gender difference, which is a huge issue actually in, in medical science generally. What do you think about that? One thing that I guess I would love to you know put a little asterisk next to my answer, there was one thing that I, I should have mentioned and I didn't, I actually didn't know this, but I just wasn't thinking about it in the context of smart drugs is that modafinil and its chemical family, they're actually known to make birth control not work so well. So if you're on you know, hormonal birth control and you take modafinil, you can get that messed up. You might still get pregnant. That's something that's worth obviously being very, very aware of. But because the way the question was phrased, I was thinking more in terms of like, does it have cognitive differences? That I'm not aware of. But obviously getting unexpectedly pregnant when you think you're on birth control would be worth knowing about. I'm not sure as far as other gender differences in how these compounds work. But I think person to person, there are huge differences. Something that might affect one person strongly may not have that much effect on somebody else. I think part of this is probably genetics and sort of built-in physiology. I think a lot of it probably has to do with dietary and lifestyle choices. If you happen to be running low on a few compounds within your diet and then you take a supplement that brings you back up to normal levels, you can feel a tremendous boost and think, oh, well, such and such supplement is amazing. But then somebody else who's already getting those things from their diet might take the same supplement and feel absolutely nothing. It's worth, I think, experimenting around a bit if somebody wants to get into these things. Make an exciting trip to the vitamin store, buy a lot of different things, you know, take things one by one, add them into and out of your diet and see if you notice a change. I was interested that you said that you'd done a survey. You've got this great podcast, which I listen to a lot called Smart Drug Smart. And I was interested, you said that you'd done a survey. And what did you learn about your listeners? I learned a bunch. I learned that we're heavily skewed male, which unfortunately, I guess is just kind of the case when you talk science stuff. I feel like there's probably a little bit of an automatic skew that happens there, which is unfortunate. I also learned that we have a, a very broad age range. We have people from probably about 20 years of age to about like 85 years of age, I think was the oldest that we got. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it was kind of cool because I didn't, I don't even really think of people in their 80s as being aware that podcasts exist. I was really happy to hear about that. 
one thing that I thought was probably the biggest surprise of, of everything that we got back from that survey was that there's a lot of listeners who really have not done any smart drugs at all, per se, nothing more exotic than maybe fish oil or caffeine, yet they're diehard listeners. And that was really surprising to me. I, I guess they're into it for the neurology and neuroscience and some of the topics covered, but some of the compounds that we talk about might seem too aggressive and out there for them to actually put into their own mouths and bodies. As we're living to be older, maybe we're looking for ways to enhance the best quality of life for as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that the ability to take care of one's brain is more important now than ever because as medical technology advances, if you have a liver that goes out or a lung that goes out or something like that, that's a problem, but it's becoming less and less of one. And I think that we're going to be able to be 3D printing livers and have you know enhanced transplant technology and, and all this sorts of stuff for kind of our worker organs. In the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years, that sort of technology is going to become cheaper, more effective, and being able to replace pretty much any part of your body except your brain is going to be an increasing reality. So if we have the ability to have these long-term young bodies, which I think is not as crazy as it might sound, then it really behooves us to think, well, the brain is the one thing that you can't just swap out and have it still be you. So it really does make sense to maintain the structural integrity of this most important of organs as much as a person possibly can. Yeah, and I think also just enhance the experience of your life as maybe your, you know, cognitive functions. I mean, you know, as we get older, our memories decline a bit. Maybe, you know, they're just interested in having a better quality of that aspect of their life as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our brain is the perceptual organ through which we process our entire world. So the better we can make it feel about everything, the better our, our experience of life is going to be. I noticed you've been starting promoting a range of supplements on your website and blog, And you know, when I look at it. I'm just interested to know how you went about sort of formulating those and why, really. Yeah, I mean, right now we've only got two products that we actually sell ourselves. We have a stack called Nexus, which is a cognitive stack based around aniracetam and a second supplement stack that's more physical in nature called mitogen, which is specifically aimed at giving the biochemical precursors that are needed by the mitochondria, which is kind of the energy manufacturing organelle within all of our body cells. And so th those two things are complementary to one another. They don't really step on one another's toes. We might offer some more products in the future, but those are the only two that we're specifically selling for right now and that we've created. But we're still talking about a wide variety of other things, both prescription and non-prescription on the actual episode. So we'll be continuing to cover lots and lots of different topics. And how did you go about researching what was going to be in them? Partially, the podcast itself has been a research tool for that. We're coming up on 98 episodes. We've talked with a bunch of different doctors and pharmacists and things like that. And of course, I've been trying some of these compounds along the way. I haven't tried everything that we've had on the show, but I've tried probably a, a healthy majority of them. The primary decision was, what do we sort of build this stack around? And for me, aniracetam was the choice there. I liked the long-term neuroprotective properties of that chemical. I liked the fact that for me, it's a palpable creativity boost. And so we sort of said, if we want to build a stack around aniracetam, what might be some complementary compounds? We wound up selecting three others, phosphatidylserine, CDP-choline, and pycnogenol, and found a formula for those, discovered that we could actually get a, a useful formula that still fit into a couple of pills, didn't have to be a horse pill-sized thing. Yeah, went off to the races and and put that together. That was something that we started thinking about what the formula might be in the early part of 2015. And yeah, we're able to actually put that out for sale in early July. 
You mentioned the really great people you actually have on your podcast, but you yourself don't have any pharmaceutical or medical training, which you're very open about. How do you feel about that? I'm certainly learning as I go, and I feel like I'm getting a broad spectrum medical training from talking with so many different people. And of course, doing a lot of reading on the sides and stuff like that. I do a lot of reading prep work for each of my interviews. So in a non-course focused way, I have been doing a lot of learning in this area for the last three years, but I'm not particularly worried about that. It's kind of like, you know, Larry King interviews a whole lot of politicians and knows how countries are, are run and states are run and things like that without ever having you know gone through whatever political training you know something that's going to run a small Eastern European company would need to go for and I, I don't think that makes him any worse of an interviewer I think that I'm certainly perfectly qualified to do the sorts of interviews I do as a very interested layperson has anybody ever made you feel like that that you don't really know what you're talking about or have they just been quite open? Not really. I mean, the thing is, most doctors are hyper-focused on one particular depth of expertise. Like, I'm a foot doctor. I know everything there is to know about feet. But if you come to them with tonsillitis, they might not be able to help you all that much. It's not like 100 years ago where the knowledge base in medicine is so shallow that somebody can be a broad-spectrum expert. Medical professionals today know their particular region extremely deep. But across specialties, there just isn't enough time for everybody to learn everything. So even were I to stop what I'm doing, take six years and get a medical degree, I would still only be learning one particular branch of medicine. And instead, I'm just sort of taking the approach of trying to learn as much as I can about a variety of things that can help the brain. I mean, the drugs we take today, again, you're very open about this on your, your website, is if you've just been taking them for like 20 years, we don't really know the full consequences they may have in the future on our bodies. Is that something that concerns you? Short answer, no. I mean, it's something, if it's not showing any bad results after, you know, five years of FDA testing and it's been on the market for, you know, 10 or 20 years, Technically, yeah, there could be like a 40-year time bomb hidden in there somewhere, but I don't know that we have any actual examples in the history of medicine of something that has seemed all right for a couple of decades and then blew up. There might be some examples of that in the cases of vaccinations, but yeah, I mean, all the drugs that I've been taking that sort of fall under this rubric have have been in the past 10 years or so. It certainly hasn't been when I've been a kid, so I I just don't think that there's too much to worry about there. I mean, I'm I'm really careful about my health. I watch my diet. I exercise. I'm, I think, as I said, a a second-generation health nut after my dad. You know, I I don't even drink alcohol. So I I kind of figure to any extent that I'm being devil may care or cavalier with some of the neurological compounds that I take, I kind of feel like I'm cutting my risk in other areas by doing all the right stuff for my body. Sure. It's all about choices, right? Yeah. I'm interested in just reading about some of the things you've done. I'm interested in, you seem quite drawn to pushing the limits or extremes of behavior. Like you cycled across the US to see if you could do it. You went vegan for a year and then switched to paleo. Is this part of it? Is that part of your personality? Yeah, I, I, th- I think I am drawn to the extremes. I like seeing where the edges are. There's you know that great quote, until you've gone too far, you don't know how much enough is. I am kind of a believer in that. I'm a naturally curious person. And so I like walking up to the edge and, and seeing what it looks like from there. Yeah, I mean, just everything I've read that you've written and done and just listening to shows, it's obvious that you do research things and you're really interested in reading and kind of finding out about what's happening. Are there any kind of resources that you would direct people to if they're interested in finding out about this? 
Well, I mean, obviously, I would love it if anybody wants to give a listen to the podcast. We come out weekly on Fridays and we talk to a variety of experts about things related to the brain. Probably about 50% of the episodes are talking about, you know, pharmacological compounds, things you actually put in your mouth. You know, we talk about things like transcranial direct current stimulation, the, you know, brain zappers that people wear on the outside of their heads. We talk about some of the ethical issues involved in human enhancement and how society should be, you know, aware of some of the downstream consequences of the things that will be coming available in the next couple of years. Aeon Magazine, I believe that's, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's A-E-O-N Magazine online. I'm not sure if they have an offline component to them, but they have a bunch of really interesting articles in some of these related areas. There's a big crossover between the smart drugs community. The word nootropics is something that people will certainly be aware of between the nootropics community and the futurism community of kind of thinking of how are things like artificial intelligence going to affect society? How are the variety of technological upgrades that are sort of starting to grow asymptotically more powerful? How are these things going to affect the world? There's a whole lot of writing going on on that right now and no lack of places to look in. So if somebody is to Google futurism, they're going to find a ton of interesting reading. But Wired Magazine is another great major media source that a lot of people will have heard of. Yeah, it's really interesting. I suppose it's the sort of visions of the future, isn't it, really? Yeah. If somebody wants to go you know, deeper into the medical research, of course, PubMed.org is where a lot of papers are originally published, but that's not necessarily written sort of from a journalistic vantage point that's going to be approachable reading by a lot of lay people. Where do you see the future of these kind of drugs going? I mean, how do you see that they may develop? I think we're in a great time for it now because we're gaining so much more ability to watch the brain in real time as it processes information. We're not just slicing open dead brains anymore and making after the fact guesses about how things were working. We're we're able to see the brain just with increasing resolution in real time, both spatial resolution and time resolution, as it does these extremely complex high-speed processes. And that's going to give us a heck of a lot more information than we've ever had before. We're also benefiting from the fact that as baby boomers get older, they're starting to enter those years where they can really experience cognitive declines and are willing to spend money and research dollars and all these things to maintain their cognition for as long as they can. And as I mentioned, a lot of the things that we're using as smart drugs now were developed to really you know, protect brains as they fade late in life. So I, th- I think there will be some big follow-on benefits for all of society, young people as well as old people, because of the increasing number of old people in that baby boomer generation. And finally, I think that just in the past few years, there seems to have been sort of a general lightening of the prohibition against doing studies into psychedelic compounds, things like MDMA and psilocybin and LSD, lysergic acid, diethylamide. And if medical professionals are able to start really studying these drugs, how they affect the brain, both the good and the bad aspects of that, I think that there's probably a heck of a lot of potential for non-recreational psychedelics and specifically designed you know, psychedelic pharmaceuticals, for lack of a better term, that we just haven't really been able to approach scientifically for the last 30, 35 years because of all the legal prohibitions against it. Bossman, we're back. I mean, we're just floating in time. You can't do this without smart drugs. I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I can't feel my face. I'd like to thank Jesse for coming on the show and for giving such a great presentation at DCBKK too. I think it's fascinating to take a step back and look at what Jesse's done with his podcast. I think three or four years ago, he was an enthusiast. I mean, he's one of the healthiest, hardest working, you know, most articulate people that I've ever met, but he wasn't an expert in smart drugs. He wasn't somebody who was developing products or talking to, you know, Harvard neuroscientists and being considered a real leader in the field. And he used the microphone 
an online platform to seek out those things that interested him. I think what he's doing is having a really positive impact. You know, he's asking hard questions. He's doing interviews. He's bringing this information to light. I think it's just really powerful. He's just a smart guy with a microphone. That and he's an adult advocating drugs. (laughs) So thank you for that. We'd love to hear your ideas of how you'd like to see the future. What do you think? What do you guys think the future of the smart drug smart stuff is? We love to hear your comments on the show. As always, you can come to our website, tropicalmba.com and give us a comment. Any samples you'd like to send along to That's us, right. send will, it in. We will sample them. We will maybe forward <laughs> it to Jesse, maybe just take it ourselves. Thanks for tuning in as always, and we'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.